It was, uh, it was August 4th, just a few months ago. I found myself in the emergency room uh, with life-saving measures being taken. Uh, furiously, I remember three nurses at the same time, one placing EKG monitors on my chest and torso, uh, another uh, nurse uh, hooking me up to an IV while a third nurse uh, grabbed a rather large EpiPen and stabbed me in the thigh with it because just 25 minutes earlier, I was mowing my grass in my backyard and what I thought was uh, a cloud of dust being kicked up from under my mower was actually a swarm of hornets. And I was stung three times, uh, once in the front of the neck, once in the back of the neck, and once in my arm, all as I'm running in the house trying to make sense of what had just happened to me. Uh, usually growing up over the years, I'd stung, been stung by bees several times, and my only reaction was, ouch. Now my body reacted in a very different way. Uh, within five minutes, I had insatiable itching on my palms and both the soles of my feet. Uh, it was unquenchable and, and super agitating, but being grassy and sweaty from mowing the grass, I hopped in the shower. Within those five minutes in the shower, that insatiable itching had now spread all over my body, and I'm furiously in agony, scratching my eyes and scalp and neck and torso, and I'm starting to moan and groan in just complete agony. And so I get out of the shower, clothes on, in my office, lay on my couch, and I am just writhing in the most uncomfortability I've ever, I've ever felt. And um, there's hives and a rash all over my whole body now. This is just like 10 minutes after the incident. My wife, Amanda, walks in, and she's been hearing all this and <laughs> knew what happened to me. And, and when she comes in, she visibly sees that my eyes and face and neck are swollen, and uh, my ears are even puffing up. And she says, Jordan, we, we got to make a call. Uh, should I call an ambulance? Should we take you to the ER in urgent care? What should we do? And as I went to answer her, I noticed it was hard to speak. Uh, my throat and breathing were now starting to be affected. And so we put all four of our kids, buckled them in the seatbelts, and, and they drove me to the emergency room as my two oldest prayed aloud for me on the way. I barely could stand at the front desk of the ER. They got my name and my birthday. I nodded my head that it was bees when they asked, as I am just, uh, just furiously itching and, and could barely stand. And they, they rushed me back to a, to a bed. Um, moments and minutes later, after the medicine had kicked in and I had relief, a doctor came to me and said what I had experienced was called anaphylaxis or anaphylactic shock. I don't know what that is, but uh, our severe reaction to the bee stings. And so uh, he said that he was glad that I came in. I did the right thing because if I would have made, waited 20 or 30 minutes later, I, I maybe wouldn't have made it. And so life-saving measures were needed and it was the willingness, eager willingness of my wife to drive me there. It was the skillful ability of doctors to save me. And what we'll see in the story of Jonah today in chapter 2 is that life-saving measures are needed. And Jonah will need someone able and someone willing to save him. And not just life-saving measures are needed for Jonah, but we'll look today at how life-saving measures are needed for you and for me spiritually between us and God. And we will need some, someone willing and able to save. 
Let me read Jonah uh, starting, and it's there in your packet, uh, chapter 1, verses 17, all the way through chapter 2, ending in uh, chapter 2, verse 10. Would you read along with me? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. We'll look at, at Jonah's situation in three, three movements. It's there in your outline to the right in your packet. We'll see Jonah's deep need. We'll see that he's under deserved judgment. And then we'll see that he ends up into divine grace, that salvation is from the Lord. First, we want to make sense of where we are in the book of Jonah. Uh, where we are right now, particularly, is in the belly of a fish. Jonah is inside a fish, and as verse 1 tells us, this whole prayer isn't part of it inside, part of it outside. The whole prayer he's praying is from within the belly of the fish. Verses 2 through 9 is his prayer. Yet the contents of his prayer recount for us, Jonah rewinds the story before he was in the fish for the content of his prayer. And he's describing not the horrid experience of being in a fish. He's describing for us in his prayer the horrid experience it was to be drowning in the sea. And then the fish actually was the instrument God used to rescue him from drowning. He's actually rather thankful for the fish. But, but his distress is most notable here. Do you see his distress? Verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And this is the distress of drowning. Do you see this? I want you to notably see uh, his experience of drowning in verses 3 and verse 5. Would you look there? Verses 3 and verse 5 says that the flood surrounded me. Do you see that? And again in verse 5, the same language. He said, the deep surrounded me. Jonah, at this point, is surrounded in this storm and in the water as he's sinking lower and lower into the ocean. Though, do you remember that getting away from God just in last chapter, it was so freeing. But now look where he is. There's trouble now on every side. Do you remember the phrase three times repeated in chapter 1? Jonah went down. Again, repeated in chapter 1, he went down. And even a third time, he went down. Notice verse 6. Where is he now? At the roots of the mountains. 
He went down, he went down, he went down. And in chapter two, we find Jonah at the bottom. And Jonah is lamenting and he's recognizing just how far his rebellion has taken him all the way down. And his prayer for us, it depicts and describes a vivid picture, not only of of what's going on for Jonah, but a vivid picture for what rebellion and sin does to us. Sin being the defying and the disobeying of God, both who he is and what he has said. And this is a vivid description of the self-inflicted wounds of rebelling from the Lord. It only leads to ruin. Notice for a moment where Jonah is not. Tarshish, right? Where did he set off to go? I'm going to run away from God. I'm going to disobey God. I'm going to defy God. And I'm going to head to Tarshish, destination. Although, where is he? Rebellion against God has not ended up how Jonah intended it would go. And that's the principle for all of us. Sin never leads us to where we want it to take us. More than his self-made mess, the mess of his own making he's tangled himself in, he also has an inability to get back out. Do you see this? Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, The waters closed in around me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. And then he says, Weeds were wrapped about my head. You get the idea? He's, He's kind of reached the ocean floor. And the seaweed is wrapping around him. It's in his ears. It's in his mouth. Weeds are just wrapping around his head. He's so tangled and trapped in the consequences of his own decision. And he can't now undo what he's done. Even he says, the waters, they close in to take my life. Rebellion for Jonah. Sin for Jonah. Defying God. You don't get the sense that he's just treading water at the surface, waiting for the next boat to take him back to shore. You don't get the sense he's just swimming on his own to Tarshish. No, this is where rebellion and disobedience from God has taken him, to a place where he's recognizing he's unable to save himself. And there were no restraints on Jonah when he originally ran from God, but now he can't get himself back out. How does this apply to us? A diagnostic question for you and for me. Where is there evidence in your life that you are in a mess of your own making? There's several kinds of messes you could find yourself in. Uh, Maybe it's not a mess of your own making. Maybe uh, the mess and the tangle and the complexity and the trouble, the distress that you find yourself in, even this morning, It's not a mess of your own making. Maybe it's just a mess of living in a broken world. It's not your fault. It's not another's fault. It's just a mess of living in this this world that's broken. For me, it was anaphylaxis, right? It wasn't a mess of my making or a mess of someone. It's just living in a broken world. My body is broken. Uh, I hope in the new heavens and new earth, bees won't sting me. (laughs) But that's not the mess Jonah's in. He's in a mess of his own making. Maybe for you, the mess you find yourself in is the mess of someone else's making and someone else's sin and disobedience and rebellion and ruin has spilled over on you. And now you're tangled in what the decisions someone else has made 
and you're a victim of really someone else's sin. That's another mess you could be in too. And for that, I want to say I'm sorry to you. It, you are not to blame for being in a mess of someone else's making. But that's not Jonah's mess here. Jonah's mess is of his own doing. And that's my question for myself and for you. Where do you find yourself in a mess of your making? It doesn't take me long uh, to look around my life and to see this at work. God declares his complete authority over my life and his complete care for my life. And really, I rebel against God in both those ways. I rebel against his authority over my life. I want control. I want to make decisions my way. With my time and my entertainment and my relationships and my finances, I rebel against his authority. I want to cast off restraint. And it only leads to a place of ruin. It doesn't lead me where I want it to take me. God has declared complete care over my life. And yet I often rebel with a heart of unbelief to that. I make decisions out of self-preservation because I don't really believe that God cares for me like he says he does. I worry myself into a tangled knot because I'm rebelling against what he's declared. He's declared care for me. He's declared authority over me. How about you? Where do you see maybe your willful allergy to God? He said who he is. He said what he's demanded from you, and you'll run at a moment's notice. What started as choices then became habits, and then what began as, then as habits now became a tangled mess in your life, in your thought life, in your relationships, maybe even with your words, and you wish you could undo the decisions you've made. Do you, do you know what I mean? This is where Jonah is. And at this point, we ask a question of Jonah's story and even of our stories too. The question, if Jonah is unable to save himself, who will be able to save Jonah this far down? Have you ever asked that about yourself? Is anyone able to help you out, rescue you, save you as far down as you've gotten? Well, worse than the misery that sin brings upon Jonah is the offense that Jonah's sin brings to God. Do you notice this? He's also under deserved judgment. It's point two there on your outline. And we'll see this in two ways. He experiences the pressure of God's judgment, but also the darkness of God's distance. Notice verse three. He says, for you, meaning God, you cast me into the deep. Uh, further down in verse 3, all your waves, meaning God's waves, and all of your billows have passed over me. Now, Jonah's read chapter 1. He lived through it. If you go to chapter 1, do you remember all the hurling last night that was happening? Who hurled Jonah into the sea? It was the sailors. Yet, who does he credit as throwing him into the ocean here? He knows it was the sailors that tossed him. But what he's recognizing is accurate. This is the hand of God, the penalty of God against him for his rebellion and sinful offense to God. And before he was in the belly of a fish, while sinking in the sea and drowning, he describes he's in another belly. Do you see this in, in verse 2? On his way down, while he's sinking and drowning, before he's in the fish, he says this in verse 2, 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. Now, Sheol is not an English word. It's a Hebrew word. And Hebrew being the language that Jonah spoke, Sheol is this word and concept of the grave. It's where the dead go. It's where sinners end up. And so he recognizes that as he's sinking into the ocean, he's sinking into his tomb. And that he's heading to a place that sin always takes sinners, the grave. And if you or I were to dive to the deep end of a pool or maybe even uh, swim deeper and deeper into an ocean or a lake, there's pressure that builds as we sink deeper. And like the pressure that builds on you or I as we descend, this is the pressure of the weight of his sin. And he's noticing the weight of his sin is against an infinitely weighty God, and it's crushing. And Jonah knows his drowning is God's penalty against him for his offensive sin against God. And more than the pressure of God's judgment, do you notice how he describes the the darkness of God's distance? Do you see this? Verse 4, he says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. This is just vivid, poetic imagery. Picture him now at the bottom of the sea, looking up. And seaweed has now entangled him. And he looks up and those rays of light coming through the surface are getting dimmer and dimmer. And he laments all that he's done. And he says of this, I I will look again on your holy temple. The temple is a physical building and structure in Jerusalem, so far away from Jonah now. And the temple for, for Jewish people is this image and representation of the presence of God. The presence of God with his people. And he says, I've been driven so far from you. And the scale at which Jonah is describing his rebellion, would you, would you consider it with me? The distance from where Jonah is on the bottom of the sea all the way to the surface, it's, it's out of reach. And even if he were to make it to the surface, he cannot swim back to shore. It's too far a distance. And even if he were to make it to shore, the hike back to Jerusalem into the temple, do you see how far from God he's describing he is? He has never felt this far from God before. And not only is there pressure that builds at the bottom of the sea, but it's deep, it's dark, and it's cold. And it's much like a life that's turned away from God. Friend, do you empathize with Jonah? Have you ever felt this way? That you can recount all the steps that brought you to where you are and you think, I have never felt more far and distant from God than when I feel right now. And it's dark and it's cold and it's lonely and you do not know how you're going to get your way out. And you are so far from seeing God and you realize it's only of your own doing and that God is not pleased with your sin. And even verse 6, it's almost his final words as he sees the end coming. Do you see in verse 6, he says, as the bars closed upon me forever. He's noticing God is the judge and he's declared what the punishment is for Jonah's crimes. And the sentence is death, and here it is. What do we learn from this? 
Friends, we learn that our rebellion's deepest problem is how it rejects and neglects the very person of God. And its consequences is God's judgment. And God is the source of life in the universe. He's the source of all joy in the universe. And so to reject him and neglect him is to reject and neglect life and joy himself. And so consequently, logically, the results are death and misery for our sin. Friend, consider your sin beyond how it affects you but how it actually offends God and rejects the God who made you and loves you. And the questions at this point are starting to accumulate as we read Jonah's story. The first question was, who is able to save Jonah when he's at his lowest? But now another question builds on top of this, a harder question. Who would be willing to save Jonah? Would God be willing to save Jonah when it's God whom Jonah has offended? Yet at the right time, it's almost at the right moment, the last thing Jonah sees is this large mouth engulf him. And this should be the most ridiculous end to the most tragic story. And at this point, I don't know what Jonah's really thinking other than I'm being eaten, right? But he's probably thinking, well, I thought I was going to drown to death, but now I'm going to be eaten. And this is just tragedy upon tragedy. Yet he's not eaten and killed. He's swallowed and saved. And look how Jonah, look how Jonah describes this moment of being engulfed and swallowed by the fish. Verse 6, would you draw your eyes to the word yet? This is the hinge of the prayer. This is the climax of his prayer. Verse 6, it all pivots on this. You see the word yet in verse 6. He says, yet you, meaning God, yet you brought up my life from the pit. And he summarizes it again in the last phrase of verse 9, when you draw your eyes to the end of Jonah's prayer. And what he's about to say is the summary of his prayer. It is also the heartbeat of the whole Bible. This is the essence of Christianity. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah is undone. He is shocked by this. How could it be that God would save him? How would it be that God, who he sinned against and disobeyed and rebelled against, would be willing to save him? And not just save him at the surface, but save him as far down as his rebellion has taken him. And this answers Jonah's questions. It answers our questions. God is able and he is willing to save. This is unthinkable, undeserved, unearned kindness from the God that Jonah has sinned against. And friends, this undeserved Unearned kindness from God to sinners is what the Bible calls grace. And Jonah was needy, but he's also guilty and doesn't deserve the help that he needs, but God gives grace anyway. And he's stunned. He's shocked that God would reach him at his lowest, that he's astonished that God would do for him what he cannot do for himself. He's amazed that the distance and the darkness did not prevent God from finding him and saving him. 
And more than God's ability, his willingness is on display. Do you see, Jonah is profoundly thankful. Notice verse 9. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. He's profoundly thankful that it was actually the person of God who was willing to reach down and save him. He's amazed it was God's willingness to, to save despite that he had done everything to earn God's judgment. He's stunned by God's willingness to save someone who had rejected him. Randy Alcorn, an author that I've enjoyed reading over the years, has a quote there. It's a top of your outline. Let me read it for you. He says, A profound awareness of my evil should move my heart to praise God for the wonders of his grace. I don't know almost all of you, and even if I did, God only knows you intimately, and a question for you and for me to think about right now is, what's the pit that you're in? This was Jonah's pit. Maybe the pit you're in, in your sin, in your rebellion, in the things you find hard to repent of. Maybe the pit is deep, it's dark. Maybe you're even noticing the pit is deserved and it's self-inflicted. But this grace, this undeserved kindness that's willing and able to save you, it comes from the one that we can call God. Salvation is from the Lord. And more than a shock and an astonishment that God would actually show grace, it's also brought with a security. Do you notice the security Jonah has? I want to draw this out for you. Verse 1 and 2, look there. Notice the verbs here. He says, I called out to the Lord. And what happened? He answered me. Again, he says, uh, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Like he's crying out. And what, is, what, what does he say next? God heard his voice. Even in verse 7, my prayer came to you. Are you sensing the security Jonah is realizing that there is and that his prayers have been answered and heard by the Lord? It's, it's amazing. As far down as he was under the ocean, he's sensing his voice wasn't muffled by the sheer volume and weight of the ocean on top of him. God heard his voice. He realizes spiritually his voice wasn't muzzled by the offensiveness of his sin against God. God answered his cry for help. Friend, do you ever wonder, does God even hear me when I cry for help? Is, is the distance between God and I in, in my sin and in my, my rebellion from him, is my voice just muffled? Friend, your prayer comes to God. It lands on his ears. He hears you. You ever wonder, is my offensiveness of my sin, is my voice muzzled? Does God even recognize me? Will he answer me, friend, in Christ? Because God has sent Christ to die for your sin, your prayers, and cry for help, for rescue and salvation from your sin will never be muffled or muzzled. God hears you. And there's a great security of God's steady and steadfast love, his certain mercy. Do you see it in verse 8? He says, those who pay regard to vain idols, to, to false gods, to empty helps, you know what they do? They forsake what Jonah has found. 
the hope of steadfast love. God is relenting of treating Jonah as his sins deserve. And though Jonah ran, God pursued. Though Jonah sank down, God dove even lower. And though Jonah has forsaken God, God finds him. And when Jonah quits, God commits. And then we see in verse 10 the moment that's illustrated in all of the the storybooks about Jonah, right? There's more hurling. Do you see it in verse 10? This time, it's the fish who hurls Jonah up out of the water. Uh, Just when you thought that vomiting was one of the worst physical experiences that you've been through, it's only because you've never been vomited. (laughs) Jonah here is hurled up. It's gross, but look at what's happening. Jonah is getting a second chance at understanding God's mission to the world. And it's because he had a firsthand experience of God's grace toward him. But friends, our salvation, it isn't a fish because our problem isn't drowning. God's instrument of salvation for us is Jesus because our problem is our sin. And Jesus actually likens himself to Jonah as he explains his mission to seek and save sinners. And he does it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Let me read this for you. It's there in your packet. Jesus refers to himself in the third person, as he often does, and as he refers to himself here as the Son of Man, which he often gives himself there as a title. Uh, he says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus explains the significance of his death and of his resurrection by using the story of Jonah. Did you notice that? Just as three days Jonah was in a fish and came back out, so the Son of Man, Jesus, will be three days in the heart of the earth in a tomb because he died. But he's only there three days and he will come back out. Jonah was suffering and dying for his own sin. Jesus suffers and does die, but not for his sin, for ours. Not for his rebellion, he had none, but for, but for ours. Jesus bore the weight of our ruin and our sin, and it landed on him, and it crushed him, and it killed him, and it led him to the place that sin always leads, the grave. There's a beautiful image here, I think, in Jonah's poetry as he's at the bottom of the ocean. And remember, he's tangled in a mess of his own making. And seaweed wraps around his head. Friends, Jesus tangled himself in a mess of your making as a crown of thorns wrapped around his head. Jesus died in our place. In that sense, it was for us. It was instead of us. He died in our place for our sin. He experienced the distance and darkness the judgment and penalty for our sin that should have been ours, Jesus took it from us by taking it upon himself so that when all of you call out and cry out for help and rescue and salvation, you get it because Jesus took the penalty on himself. 
And when those three days were up, Jesus was resurrected out of that tomb, out of Sheol, to invincible new life. And while Jonah was grossly vomited out for his second chance at life, Jesus is gloriously raised up to give you your second chance at life. Your salvation is from the Lord Jesus. Friends, Jesus is God's grace to you. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, which Tom mentioned during our interview, there's an extended passage there of three verses. It's there in your packet. The New Testament writes this about God's love for us in Christ, in his death, and in his resurrection. He writes this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Friends, Jesus' death is the display of how willing God is to save you. And Jesus' resurrection is the display of how able God is to save you. Let me say that again, friends. Jesus' death on the cross is the display of how willing God is to save you. And the resurrection of Jesus from death is the display of how able God is to save you. Have you ever wondered how willing is God to take time at all on a person like me? How willing is God to get me out of my mess, save me from my sin, forgive me? How willing is he? Friends, he's literally dying to do it. And you might wonder, but how able is God to rescue me from myself, from what I've made my life into? How able is he to get me out of my friends? Friends, by faith in Jesus, you are as out of your sin as Jesus is out of the grave. And this is the gospel of Christ, that we don't deserve it, we cannot earn it, and he gives us, our, and he gives us his grace. He does for us what we could never imagine doing for ourselves. My prayer for you is that as Jonah had an appointment with the salvation from a fish, that this weekend might be your appointment with God's Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we close chapter two, there's still questions that remain. We're only halfway through the book. And the questions that remain here is that Jonah's situation now has drastically changed, right? But the question is, has Jonah changed? Jonah is thankful for God's grace toward him. But is he eager for God's mission toward others? Before I close us in prayer, I'm going to give us all a few moments, a few minutes, to contemplate the grace of God the ability of God, the willingness of God to save us in Christ. Would you take time, personally, silently, by yourself, contemplate God's grace for you, and then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we are so needy, and we are so guilty. 
So God, we are stunned and amazed and we praise you for your grace to save us and to save us in Christ who would take our sin and our rebellion, the consequences on himself. So we're fully forgiven and can know you again because of the grace of Christ. God, we ask that the rest of this conference, the rest of today would be making much of you and your grace for us at the cross and an empty tomb. God, thank you for being willing and able to save us. In your name we pray. Amen.